The Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Provoke Media Podcast. This is Arun Sudhaman, Editor-in-Chief at Provoke Media. I'm joined by someone who I've known for about as long as I have been covering this industry. It's Bob Picard. He was most recently Director General of Communication at the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank. Um, But of course, Bob has had a long and storied career with many big agencies, including Edelman, Burson Marsteller, Huntsworth. Bob, welcome to the Provoke Media Podcast. Many thanks, Arun. I'm happy to be here. So, Bob, I think to many of our listeners, it won't be a surprise as to why you're on the show today. Um, You hit the headlines, uh, I believe it was in June of this year. Yeah. um, When you left the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, we'll call them AIIB from now on. Sure. Um, You left... Uh, alleging that the uh, the organization was dominated by the Chinese Communist Party um, and that it suffered from a toxic culture. Uh, and you fled the country. Um, you're not, you're, now you're back in your native Canada. Um, so talk us through, perhaps, to start off, your decision to leave and, and, and what persuaded you to take such dramatic steps. Arun, I decided to leave for reasons of ethics and for reasons that had a lot to do with freedom to pursue honest communication in a transparent function. And I felt that the toxic culture at the bank, the toxic culture which comes from the subterranean CCP control there, was holding me back in achieving what I felt should be the objectives of my my organization in the communications department. It's important to realize in talking about why I left, why it is that I joined in the first place. I felt, because my country was a member of AIIB, that AIIB would be uh, a real success story. It was uh, unbelievably backward and primitive with its communications. They never really built a communications department well for the first time. And many of the things that you would expect a communications department doing or being capable of doing, the AIIB communications department was unable to do those, which is why I was brought in. I was an upgrade on the position, and I was brought in as a senior practitioner, well-connected with the media, to create what I thought would be accurate awareness for a misunderstood brand, which at the time I felt was the most exciting, unheralded discovery in constructive multilateralism. I felt like it was almost like the Rodney Dangerfield of, of uh, international financial institutions, even <laughs> though it, it, it had grown so fast and had done so much, including with members like Britain, Canada, New Zealand, Australia. This, this organization had a fairly negative image and it had a fairly low profile. So I was brought in to change all that. And I felt very motivated by the challenge. Every PR person worth their salt, as you know, Arun, should welcome a challenge. And so I thought, wow, if I could, if I could create a positive, well-known brand image for AIIB, then that would be quite a, 
quite a, uh, a, a accomplishment for my a crowning accomplishment really for my PR career. Now, why did I why did I leave? Well, after a while, it became very clear to me, abundantly clear. Number one, that I didn't have the freedom to run my own department. Number two, that there was a subterranean Communist Party reporting line where my activities were monitored and the initiatives with which I was involved were carefully parsed and controlled by party members. Uh, also, I, I think it was very clear that I was not able to make the changes that I would have liked to in the department. I increased the budget, almost doubled it, six new headcounts. The office was literally elevated right next to the president's office. My office was right next to President Jin's, having been on a backwater floor earlier on. Uh, and I, 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 felt, I felt that I wasn't able to do the job I was sent to do uh, because of Communist Party people uh, and everyone in the bank whatever they say publicly just about anyone who's been there for any period of time they know who they are and maybe my departure Arun was a shock announcement it's not often that a PR turns on the brand in public like that but to anybody who to anybody who worked at the bank for any period of time or was familiar with mm -hmm. the bank there was not exactly a lot of surprise with what I did because people thought it was almost a, a given. Of course there are communists in China. There are 100 million of them <laughs> in a country of 1.4 billion. So now, of course, having been an Asia hand for so many years, of course I knew that going into it. But after a while, it was clear to me that there was this unseen subterranean a failure of governance in the Communist Party uh, concentration of power in the bank in an everyday operating sense. And so I felt that I was, mm. in the end, in the end, and this is a long answer to your question, I was uh, inadvertently misleading people externally, external to the bank about the true character of the organization. And I couldn't stand for that. Mm. Indeed, it, it does kind of bring to mind the... Uh... The, the, the famous scene out of, I think it's Casablanca, where there's this, you know, outrage that gambling is going on. Outraged, in, that's right. In a particular shocked. establishment. Just shocked. And, and that seems to have been the most common, I wouldn't say the most common, but one of the, the, um, the sort of responses I've seen to your departure has been that surely you must have known there was a certain amount of influence, and you've worked sure. in China previously. Um, you know what? What was it that um, I suppose crossed a specific line for you? There were several things that happened, some of which I really can't talk about in a public domain. Mm -hmm. Involving involving my team, the continued tolerance of certain toxic individuals in my department. I had a majority by far of the department supporting the new changes. I was about to significantly bring in change makers, you know, bring in a, a large number of people who would take things to the next level. There was an old guard, an old guard who, who appeared to be and seemed to be and were very close to the Communist Party people in the bank who resisted the changes I was trying to bring about. And maybe 
you know, maybe there was never a good fit in the, from the get-go with me and the bank, because as mm -hmm. you know, I came out of the Edelman culture. I had built my own firm in North America as an entrepreneur in earlier years. And so there I am in a multilateral, highly bureaucratic organization where Communist Party members dominate. And my changes, while I, I was able to bring along certain uh, people who saw what I was trying to do, such as the bank president, it was clear that the CCP control of important everyday budgetary matters, discretionary HR matters, and things important to me like uh, you know the, uh, the honest transparency of what was really going on at the bank. This, this interference, this persistent ongoing interference, I felt was corrosive to the public confidence that I was trying to foster for the bank. Hmm. So you announced your departure publicly, at least, on social media. Sure. Um, by which point, I think you had already left the country. You were in Tokyo. Obviously, you've since returned to Canada. Yes. Um, from a media perspective, what was the response like, uh, both globally and, and, and specifically in Canada? Well, first of all, it's important to realize that I left the country, I left China in a real hurry because the bank mm -hmm. knew, the president's office at the bank knew for several weeks of my concerns of CCP power and control in the bank, and they were certainly aware of my plans to share with Canadians through our government my experience, which I think would not have uh, been the kind of image they were looking for. And so mm -hmm. I, fe I felt that because they were aware of my intentions, I might be in danger. Now, a few weeks earlier, I had sought the, sought the reassurance of my own government and also of the director of security at the bank, herself a CCP member, uh, in terms of my safety. This was after Canada had uh, expelled the Chinese diplomat and after China uh, had uh, been you know, accused of foreign interference in our country's politics. I did not receive what I considered any kind of a reassurance that I would be safe in that country. So when I moved mm -hmm. and they knew what I was going to do, they knew I was going to go public. I mean, we are public relations people. Public is what we do well. So mm -hmm. I was going to use my professional skills to make sure that everyone understood the way that things were going at the bank in my own personal point of view. The bank says it values transparency. It values openness. Well, that is exactly the way in which I conducted myself, therefore, upon my exit. And I did it from Japan because I was, a, I was concerned. As a dad of two kids, I was concerned that I could get an exit ban of some kind and held in China, which we've seen for so many executives recently. Mm -hmm. The media yeah. reaction to your question was, was overwhelming. I've, I've been on Twitter since 2008, and I, I've never received an audience size of 2 million for anything else I've ever tweeted. So I, I was kind of surprised by it. I thought it would be picked up a little <laughs> bit, but it, I wasn't expecting saturation media coverage around the world. I was overwhelmed with media interview requests. The press, the Foreign Correspondents Club of Japan, they even wanted me to hold a press conference when I was in Tokyo. So mm -hmm. this was unexpected. And I think what happened was when I left the bank, I had no undertaking. I had no understanding that the 
Canadian government would suspend its membership. So I think mm-hmm. the PR guy, the comms chief, saying something, doing something in a trans- such a radically transparent way, that caught the eye of a lot of people. But when, within hours, the Canadian government, based solely on my public comments on Twitter, decided to suspend my country's membership in this bank to review my allegations as a credible person. That, I felt, took the media coverage to an entirely different level. Mm-hmm. Right. And that review is still underway? Canada's has is, is, is still suspended its membership from AIIB? That's right. Canada... Is no uh, is not an active currently active member of AIIB, and the review continues mm-hmm. here. Yeah. So AIIB follows up with a report, which comes out, I think, in August. Yep. Um, which effectively dismisses your claims and instead identifies multiple concerns about your performance and conduct leading up to your resignation. Sure. How do you? How did you feel? when you read that and and how did you, how do you respond to those cha- to those charges well the bank came out with its whitewash report which really in my view was a pack of lies it came it came out with it i think in july arun it was um it was the world's most rapid internal review record breaking and it was not an independent review it should be noted it was conducted by the legal department at the bank which uh, I was told by an anonymous source uh, a few weeks into it, uh, has a senior Communist Party member, uh, and I do have the name of that person, but I won't mention it here, uh, who was uh, potentially part of the review involving me. Also, it's also it's important to realize that before the review was even published, senior executives in the legal department were already bad-mouthing me and criticizing me on social media. Look, the day I left mm. the bank... The day I left the bank, they said my allegations were unfounded and baseless. They said that when I left the bank prior to any review. And then mm-hmm. maybe a, a month later, they came out with some report that said my allegations were unfounded and baseless. No change. I don't believe they ever seriously investigated my core concerns about subterranean Communist Party influence in the bank. I feel like they reacted thinking, okay, uh, this is not good for our reputation, what's going on. We're going to have to take aim at his reputation as a way to secure our own, uh, uh, to, to secure our good name in all of this. So if you look at the report, they, they, you know, they were real, they were really sort of gutter and really low about it. You know, they talked about how, uh, the, the, you know, I didn't, attend certain meetings. Well, the one mm-hmm. I think the, the most the, the most important one was when on my family leave, I elected not to meet with our bank's president because I was in the cancer hospice in Ottawa where my mother uh, is, is on her deathbed. Uh, so, you know, this is the character of AIIB that they would try to make something out of me taking a family leave to see my mom uh, and then use that against me later on. I, I, and, you know, this was, this was in the context of somebody in the comms job who works seven days a week and the ridiculous hours of being a comms chief. So I felt that was a low blow and unworthy. I also look at the allegations that they made about how there was conflict in my department. 
Well, there were three people I conflicted with on a regular basis. I, uh, must, uh, I must underline, though, that these three people were holdouts who never returned from the pandemic or for, to headquarters in Beijing. So these were people who sniped from afar at, at what I was trying to do. I was trying to digitize the platform. I was trying to get with the program with modern public relations. And the old guard didn't like that very much. And guess who the old guard tried to uh, enlist in their cause to undermine my position? Well, the Communist Party, people in the president's office. president's office is dominated by the Communist Party. And the, the, the bank pretends it's some kind of multilateral international organization that's apolitical. That's what they say on the outside. But on the inside, it's profoundly political, and it's CCP political. There's uh, mm. rumor. There's uh, all kinds of uh, you, know, you know stuff that goes on below the surface that is the opposite of what is the bank's stated goal of transparency. Also, the report the report uh, suggested that you know there there were uh, other things about me coming up late with documents or such. Well, look, I will say I will say I was later than most in the performance reviews that I. I did, and I was later than most in submitting my budget. But they were submitted on time, and people got promoted. Mm. They got salary increases. There was no systemic, uh, you know, there was no systemic negative consequence to this. So they were just grasping for straws, and they were trying to come up with stuff. They were making things up, basically, in trying to smear my reputation. Now, this comes naturally to the CCP. I was surprised that this came out of the AIIB in the way that it did. From my perspective, it simply proves convincingly, even more than I thought before, they are under CCP control. Hmm. Now that um, I suppose the dust has settled a little bit, perhaps, are there any lessons you would take away from this whole situation as a communications practitioner? I think the number one lesson for me is that the power of the CCP should not be underestimated, especially in the world of communication. When I mm. departed the bank, the amount of toxic abuse which I suffered on social media, driven by the usual suspect CCP bots online, was unbelievable. And they were all encouraged by state media. State media in China, there were four articles that came out and they talked about my departure as a tempest in the teapot, as minor or insignificant. Well, yet, why did they keep on coming up with articles in state media to, to smear my reputation? And why was it that hundreds of bots online accused me of being an American agent or a white supremacist or a neo-colonialist only to stop hurling all this abuse the moment I connected the dots? I, I tweeted, interesting how all these CCP bots are so fully supportive of AIIB. From the moment I did that, suddenly all of the abuse stopped when I connected the dots between the two. Again, in my view, demonstrating the clear connection between them. I feel, mm -hmm. therefore, that we should be aware uh, on Western social media networks. The, we should be aware of the extent of CCP involvement there. And these are not nice people. Mm -hmm. They, they, they will uh, undermine, they will uh, attack, they will, they will misinform 
they will try to they will try to create an alternate a reality which which is designed to in a in a very ruthless and bloody minded way achieve the desired image for the Chinese Communist Party the People's Republic of China they mean business mm. Mm. how do you see this impacting this trend in particular because you know this isn't the only example we have seen of that but how do you see that impacting how multinational corporations even big international public relations agencies are responding to potentially a less welcoming uh, a, a more intrusive environment in china and and even beyond look the hardest thing to do right now as far as i'm concerned is to engage in truly global corporate communication if you're a multinational mm -hmm. or a complex organization that operates around the world, how do you strike that right balance in the now of an ever-fluid and unfolding public sentiment that makes everyone feel like they're on the same page in their relationship with you? This has become extremely difficult to do. Look at the NBA example from a few years back with Hong Kong, for example. So mm -hmm. I, I, feel, I feel like, in many cases, Western multinationals, they need to take stock and they need to ask themselves what is the what is the right way to resonate what is the right way to harmonize our message in a way that will uh, faithfully communicate what it is we stand for as an organization but where uh, we will not gratuitously uh, irritate the the PRC propaganda machine against us now of course there's a moment of character involved here right because character and ethics not to mention, uh, not to mention in a broader geopolitical sense, loyalty, loyalty to the system of government that allows you to even freely communicate in the first place, because it could be that a company's beliefs, viewpoints, perspectives on issues could run afoul of Chinese opinion, and you then have to ask yourself, well, what's more important to us: continued success in the Chinese market, which is controlled by a neo-Maoist authoritarian dictator, more and more smothering independent expressions of opinion and controlling the press, you know, clamping down on any signs of dissent, you know, denying journalist visas, or do our opinions on, do our beliefs uh, take precedence? Do they transcend our fear for the loss of money in this key market? Which, let's face it, this China of 2023 it is not the China of 2013. I mean, when thinking of AIIB again, when Canada, Germany, Italy, countries like that, Western countries, when they joined AIIB, Xi Jinping was still, was still seen at that time as potentially a Deng Xiaoping-style reformer. And there was a lot of hope still of uh, integrating China into the international system. Well, a decade later, that clearly was a mistaken assumption. And... The Chinese, not the Americans, not the West, have been making very aggressive and warlike gestures toward the world, which I feel should be a wake-up call for all of us to start uh, taking them seriously. When Xi Jinping talks about preparing for war in Chinese, well, I think I think we should take him at his word and, and act accordingly. Uh, look at look at mm. look at uh, ten years later. Look at the situation. He's no Deng Xiaoping. He's he's a neo Maoist figure. 
uh, none of these reforms have come to pass. In fact, it's been an anti-reforming government, a smothering degree of control mm -hmm. we've never, never seen before. So this is a hostile regime, hostile to Western interests and hostile to democratic interests. I think it's important to realize what we're dealing with here. Would any countries, would any of these Western countries, if AIIB were new today, would any of them actually join the bank at this point going mm. forward? I think the answer is obviously absolutely not. So I think Chinese mm. corporates also have an interesting challenge, Arun. How do they communicate to Western countries internationally when there's such a, a negative perspective now in the West at long last and it's sort of a, a fatalism or almost a giving up hope about engaging China? How do they, how do they mm -hmm. communicate? If you're one of these rising Chinese multinationals, how do you communicate convincingly with the West if you're known to be a Chinese brand? It's almost like a toxic radioactive cloud hanging over you. I mean, do, do, do you think they just accept that it's not worth the effort given the current climate and maybe focus their energies on other spheres of influence, the Belt and Road Initiative, many countries that, um, you know, China has been able to kind of entice to it over to its point of view. Well, that's exactly right. Clearly, uh, courting the global south is extremely important for this to, uh, for the, for these companies to build markets. And they, and they look, they've all outgrown the Chinese market. They, they all have an enormous mm -hmm. amount of of cash. And to keep growing, they have to go beyond uh, China. Now, that, if that's not going to include Western democracies, then who's it going to include? It has to be the global south. And that's why you see the, the uh, embrace of the Belt and Road Initiative, the new Silk Road, as Xi Jinping likes to talk about it. And of course, uh, AIIB, the Chinese state media, has referred to it as a, a key funding platform for this Belt and Road Initiative. So China is not mm -hmm. just trying, China is not out of the goodness of its heart trying to build bridges or ports or infrastructure uh, just, just to be a, a responsible global citizen. China's doing that so it can sell stuff, make money, uh, penetrate markets, uh, achieve a mm -hmm. geopolitical, and, well, and a neo-mercantile control over these countries who are part of the BRI. Mm. Now, it's interesting because as, like so many international communicators who have spent time in Asia, and, and you also worked for Huntsworth when it was, as I recall, part owned by Blue Focus, which was... That's right. And, and, and still is China's biggest PR agency. Um, and, and like so many of, of, of Western communicators who've come to Asia, you know, your, your career and your roles have involved building bridges. Um, do, do you think that era is over? It is over for now. And it's a, it's a, sad, it's a sad thing. We have a government mm. in charge of China. We have a CCP government that appears to be preparing for war. And I feel like the malign nature of its activities, the, the malignant undermining of countries, the, the espionage, the surveillance through technology, the harsh 
the harsh uh, way of, of dealing with people and uh, countries that are different. In the case of Canada, the establishment of Chinese police stations so as to, as to intimidate the, the Chinese diaspora in our country. Uh, I mean, all of this activity is so toxic and, and so, so verging on, on war-like or pre-war preparation. This, is, this kind of communication across East versus West is, I would say, almost impossible right now. And you know anyone you know obviously we we obviously we want that to be possible, uh, you know we we don't want war we don't want uh, we don't want the high cost of erecting all of these barriers between a rising China and a concerned West, but this is happening and at the moment it appears inevitable. I just hope that cooler heads will prevail, and that we have a, mm. a we have that it, I hope that it's not just real politic, or brute force. Or a communist party versus the, uh, the well, the two-party consensus now in Washington D.C., which you know, the communist party has actually done something quite remarkable. It has united the the uh, Republicans and the Democrats in Washington. I mean, who else could do that? They agree on nothing else mm -hmm. except this one thing. So mm -hmm. we should take this seriously. We we all want mm -hmm. peace, but I'm afraid we are as communicators going to be increasingly taxed by the new dynamic of a world preparing for war. And that's a scary mm -hmm. prospect, but it's something that we just, just should have our, our eyes wide open about. Mm. So we reported last week that AIIB is looking for a PR agency. Yes. Um, or is reviewing, is reviewing its PR and brand agency support. Um, and also, uh, obviously, is looking for your full-time successor yes director general of comms um and i don't think we need to spend too much time on on those developments sure. but what i found interesting was i um you know posting the story on on x as it's now known formerly known as right. twitter yes um and of course uh, i noticed many people retweeting it um who i think are, are, are followers of yours and i would probably class them as people who are extremely hostile towards China and, and maybe you know you know this is social media so let's not let's not um, pretend that um, sure. we're talking about necessarily meaningful dialogue but I just thought it was interesting you probably now have quite a lot of followers um, who are quite anti-China um, and maybe have an agenda that perhaps doesn't necessarily you know, map exactly to your own as someone who has spent Correct. so many years in Asia and indeed working with China. Does that make That's you right. feel uncomfortable at all? There is an adjacency that makes me uncomfortable sometimes. For the most part, mm. these people that you're referring to, these are Canadians who are completely fed up with the interference in our politics and they don't want the Chinese government to try to undermine our elections or our, our way of governing ourselves as a country. And look, this is also the same country, Arun, where two of our nationals, the two Michaels, they were detained. They were basically kidnapped by this brutal, thuggish regime in Beijing and held almost for ransom in the Hmong case with, with Huawei until the, the, the company's CFO was returned to, to China. These two men, citizens of our country, were held against their will in, in very uh, poor prison conditions. 
And I must say, for me, the most uh, encouraging message I received when I left AIIB, it was from Michael Kovrig, one of those men, who sent me a quick missive saying, congratulations on your excellent career decision. And, mm. but, but these, these Canadians, maybe, maybe many of them are on the right wing or they may support the opposition conservative party, uh, but, but not all of them. I, I would say that I think these people are just fed up with interference from China and they want no more of it. And they're wondering what benefit does Canada get from uh, uh, investing one, $1 billion uh, into the Asian Infrastructure Investment Bank, and they're scratching their heads about, you know, what is the one thing, even one thing that our country gains from our membership? Well, look, as a Canadian and having that job as the comms chief, you can well imagine I was looking for an angle, right? Like, you know, how can I communicate to Canadians the benefit of being a, a member of this bank? Well, I, after 18 months in that role, I... I, I couldn't think of a single one. And so that, that, that says something. The other mm -hmm. uh, point I think has to be considered as well. Um, most PR people, as you know, Arun, you know, we, we, we do not seek controversy. As a, as a, as a breed, you know, we, 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 we don't court that. You know, communications folks don't tend to post on social media with a strong point of view. We generally are more, more moderate. We like nuance. We like to uh, make sure that all stakeholder mm -hmm. groups feel involved or are reasonably uh, harmonious with their relationship together with us. So, you know, it's unusual for a communicator to communicate as I have done. So that feels exhilarating, but it also may stimulate the involvement in my communication of a broader mass audience whose sentiments I respect, but I have no control over what they may interpret from what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting point. One of the reasons, I suppose, that communicators um, are often more moderate is because, well, particularly if you're in an agency, but even in-house, you don't necessarily know who your next paymaster will be. That's right. Um, and there is, a, you know, there's always, as you mentioned, um, a focus on, on multi-stakeholders. You also talked about um, your decision to leave being described by one of the Michaels as an excellent career decision. Yeah. So as a communicator uh, with a career, uh, where do you think this leaves you now? And, and what would you say your plans are now? This leaves me incredibly experienced and more capable than ever when it comes to the core of my craft, which is namely leadership communication in a state-of-the-art way on social media. And I feel, I feel now, look, I've never had too much difficulty Arun attracting clients over the years. This is already the case. I'm already working with some clients. But I, I feel like this has been a great education for me, an education about uh, human nature in certain organizations where, um, okay, the uh, assumptions that I've always had, I, I need to test them against these, these new realities. And so, you know, that results in me having sharpened the saw and being able now to, having gone through the fire myself, having been in the frame, you know, there's a book called When the Headline is You. Well, I, I, was, I was in the headline, and there's still maybe more to come out on this stuff. Uh, 
So that experience gives me a great uh, reserve of consulting capability to draw upon in advising my clients. And that, uh, I think, well, you know, I also feel, frankly, more like a badass now. I don't feel, I don't feel so, so, uh, so, uh, you know, quiet or the, I don't feel like a polite Canadian, you know, just keep my head down and, 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 and avoid controversy. I think, I think I've learned if you want to express a point of view, this is the, the, the day and age in which to do so. There are a lot of, there are a lot of cowards and yes, men out there, Arun, People say, well, don't, you know, don't say that, or you can't offend that person, or don't make them upset. Well, you know what? That is no way to live, not in a modern age of communication. And so I'm going to adopt the exact opposite philosophy. Okay, well, Bob, thank you so much for your time. Um, and all the best with everything, no doubt. We will hear more from you soon. Thank you, my friend. Great talking to you. You've been listening to the Provoke Podcast, brought to you by Provoke Media and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers.